Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. One year during deer season, my uncle went out on the general hunt. He hiked a few miles in the middle of the night to get to his spot. When he got there he heard some soft moans, and couldn't find where it was coming from but then noticed something large high up in a tree. Since it was still dark he disregarded it and walked to his tree stand and settled in for the morning. As the light grew he started to get a better and better picture of what was up in the tree, to his horror it was a slumped over man. He quickly got freaked out and then noticed through his spotting scope that it was a dead hunter sitting in a tree stand. Turns out the guy died of a heart attack, and my uncle likely experienced his last moments of life, but didn't realize what was happening. My uncle always talked about how creepy it was being in the forest early early morning and going through that situation. We, my cousins and I, would always hear this story on Halloween. When I got older I assumed it was something to spook us, but my dad confirmed it was true. My uncle has been hunting since he was a teenager. He's in his 50s now. He's not what some would call a manly man but he's an outdoorsman through and through. A top-notch hunter and angler, and he's a dead eye with any firearm. He's won shooting competitions and once shot the strings off from balloons at varying distances, then shot the balloons as they floated away. 
This was at a FBI-sponsored public meet and greet after an agent bet him he couldn't do it. He used a new pistol the agency was showcasing. Be it a rifle, shotgun, pistol, doesn't matter, if he wants to shoot it, it gets shot. Anyways, five or so years ago he's up by the Canadian or US border with some friends. Lots of lakes up there and very thick forest. A number of the lakes are kept pristine by having a strict no-motor policy. You can't have a boat in the water with a motor attached. It's an area that requires a lot of manual work to hunt and fish. You carry everything on your back. No AT versus, no pickup trucks, just miles and miles of forest and water. This is hunting, fishing, and camping in the remotest sense. Him and his friends canoe across a lake and portage a while cross another lake. Portage a while longer. Looking for a good place to begin their hunt. After some hours of getting completely engulfed by nature they come to an area that seems good for setting up camp. The nearest civilization is days away on foot. They are in the proverbial middle of nowhere which is perfect for the kind of trip these guys had planned. They set up camp and begin their hunt. The plan was to go off in different directions and prospect the area. Meet back at camp by nightfall and discuss the plan for tracking the next morning. The men all pick a direction and begin prospecting into the woods alone. At this point my uncle is a couple of hours into his prospect. So, for those of you keeping score, my uncle has entered a remote forest, canoed and portaged for half a day further into the woods, and is now on his own after having hiked even further into the woods. He is as secluded as a person can get. At some point in his hike, my uncle feels uneasy. He's not sure why, but something is starting to make him feel on edge. He has all of his firearms holstered at this point. He continues on his hike, taking notes of the area to share with his friends back at camp. He's busy jotting notes down when he suddenly gets a massive pang of anxiety. Fear begins taking over his faculties and he has no idea why. He starts surveying his immediate surroundings and sees something in the distance. Something oddly out of place. He is now holding his pistol. He moves toward the object slowly and unsure. As he does he realizes there isn't a single thing making a sound in the woods but him. All of the birds have gone absolutely quiet. He gets close enough to the object to see what it is. A medium-sized Coleman cooler and what looks to be brand new. The juxtaposition of this brightly colored, man-made cooler in the absolute seclusion of its surroundings has my uncle confused to no end, but there it is. Set in the middle of nowhere with nothing or no one around for days, a perfectly new cooler. It's at this point in the story my uncle swears he had absolutely no inclination to open the cooler. In fact, everything in his being was telling him to leave it alone and get back to camp as if the forest itself were warning him to turn around. He has now traded his pistol for his shotgun and has immediately began hiking back to camp. He says after about 5 minutes of hiking he began to feel better, and after about 7 to 10 minutes he noticed the birds chirping. He made it back to camp within 45 minutes to an hour. He sat around camp waiting for the others to return and shared with them what happened. His friends wanted to find the cooler the next day, but my uncle refused to go looking for it. The rest of their trip was pleasant and nothing out of the ordinary happened. The first time my uncle shared this story was with me and my dad a few days after he got back from his trip. He was visibly upset while talking about it and became short with me when I gave him a hard time for not looking inside the cooler. He has no speculation as to where it came from, what was in it, or why it was there, he just knew, somehow, it was no good. The brother I law and myself out doing some night fishing for catfish. Was around end of summer or beginning of fall in upstate New York. We were down a pretty steep bank that had a landing pad type formation at the bottom. We had been getting subtle rigs from the bells, yes bells, they clip onto your rod and ring when a fish hits or takes the bait. No fish though. After about an hour we started hearing crunching leaves up over the steep bank. We kept flashing our lights up there but could not see anything. 
We had a propane lantern for ambient light and headlamps for spotting or tying knots etc. Over the course of the next three hours we would hear something walking on the top of the bank. Never saw a thing. Kept going back and forth about the uneasy feeling we kept getting. Talked ourselves into thinking it was a coyote. Not many big predators where I live. Coyotes being the main concern usually so we don't bring self-defense weapons. Welp we got skunked and caught nothing. Packed up all our gear and loaded it in the truck. I lit a cigarette and we were talking about the noises we kept hearing. We looked around the truck in the foliage, nothing. Finished my smoke and we got in the truck. I started it up and flicked my headlights on. Boom. Right there in front of the truck, staring into the lights, Puma. They don't natively live in New York, apparently they migrate through. Needless to say I just drove away. Shaking the whole way home. Now we bring some form of self-defense no matter what we are fishing for or where we are going. The fact that this thing was circling is for hours, stalking us. Freaky. It had the high ground as well, so had it pounced I have no doubt one of us would be seriously hurt if not dead. Freaky man. Live in a rural area in Florida. This happened a few weeks ago. I was driving by myself at around midnight and I came to a stoplight where there's a cemetery on the right and new apartment buildings on the left. This particular light is extremely long since it's not activated by sensors when you pull up to the light. So I'm waiting for a few minutes and all of a sudden I instinctively look behind me. It felt like someone was watching me intently. About 30 feet away from where I was waiting for the light is a bus stop, behind me. Right in front of the benches where you wait for the bus, I see a huge figure that looks like a wolf or a giant dog. I'm staring at it, thinking to myself wow that's an enormous dog. All the while I start to feel goosebumps. I feel my heart start racing and I can't figure out why. I start to feel evil thoughts in my head. I say feel because I couldn't make out what words were being said I just remember while I was staring at this dog I felt like it was mocking me, laughing, and challenging me. Then, I see the figure stand up on two legs while staring in my direction. It stood up and was suddenly taller than the top of the bus overhang. But it didn't look like a human it looked like an animal just started standing on two legs. Meanwhile I'm still waiting for the damn light to turn green. And keep in mind there's lights all around the bus stop but this figure was pure black. So the figure was stood up on two legs, and now it looked like a huge dog with an alpaca neck and body, but the neck looked really girthy. I see this thing continue to stare in my direction. And I think to myself okay this is really weird but even if it's my imagination it's gonna disappear when I start driving. The whole time I'm feeling panicked and I hear in my head run but I can chase you. I SKKRRT out of the stoplight, it's still freaking red but I did not care at that point, and drive away as quick as I can. And then, I look behind me as I'm driving. And the freaking figure is sprinting at full speed on all fours behind me. It looked like a deranged wolf was chasing me. I felt pure panic as I was speeding away, and maybe out of instinct I yelled I have God with me. You can't hurt me. Nothing can hurt me. I am protected by my angels and by God. Paraphrasing here. It was at that point I realized I was feeling like I was being choked, because after I said that out loud I felt like I could breathe, I didn't feel like I was being chased anymore and when I looked back the thing was gone. The total time I spent at the light was around 3 minutes. The light takes like 5 plus minutes to turn green. And when it stood on two legs it did look like an animal but with human-like mannerisms and the legs were human-like as well. Let me know your thoughts. I'm 60 years old and, except for 5 years in the 1990s when I lived in northern Idaho, I have lived in Northern California all my life. Thanks to my father I've been hunting, fishing, and camping since I was old enough to walk. I've had quite a few experiences of these Sasquatch beings from whoops that were so close and loud enough that I could feel it in my chest to being escorted out of the woods with that weird walk when you feel like you're being stalked. 
The nights at my current residence can be a bit of an adventure with strange murmurings and whistles, to being woken up from the house being banged on. The experience I want to share is my first. It happened during the summer by a high mountain stream in a meadow while I was with my friend Mike. This was in the Lawson National Park in Northern California. I first discovered this beautiful secluded place several years earlier during a deer hunting trip with my dad. Once you leave the paved road it's about an hour's drive up a winding dirt road full of switchbacks to where we parked. It was about an hour before sundown. We began gathering firewood and setting up camp. It was about two hours after the sun went down we had a bite to eat and were sitting around the fire discussing how we wanted to fish the stream in the morning. Then uphill from us, about 50 yards away, came a strange sound. The best description I can give you is a cross between a cough and a bark, only much louder and more guttural, for lack of a better description. I'll just refer to it as a bark. Then it did it again and again. Soon there was barking in groups of five or six and then it would go silent for a minute or two then would start up again. I've never heard anything like it before or since. I've been all over the internet trying to find out what it was and the closest thing I find is some close gorilla sounds and a baboon bark that is close but not exact. We both stood up and Mike asked, what is that? I was dumbstruck. I didn't know what to tell him. He was new to the outdoors and I was a so-called experienced outdoorsman. I admitted I was scared. Finally, I whispered, I don't know. I told him to put more wood on the fire and unstrap the Winchester 2535 carbine I had packed. It was a moonless night so seeing anything beyond the fire was impossible. After about 25 minutes of this damn barking going on, I told Mike I was going to step away from the fire to see if I can spot anything silhouetted against the night sky. I stepped away about 15 yards, sat at my rifle against a tree, and cupped my hands around my eyes binocular like to try and black out the light from the fire. I stared up the hillside every once in a while. I thought I could see starlight being blocked out or a dark shape appearing where it wasn't a little bit before, but nothing conclusive. After a few minutes, I realized Mike was standing next to me with his knife in his hand. I was just about to speak when there came a loud crashing of brush and branches as something was heading down the hill straight for us. I grabbed my rifle and levered a shell into the chamber when all of a sudden, out of the darkness, came a doe. She stepped into the firelight, slowed to a walk, stopped directly between us, and stared at us with huge eyes. She was so close I could almost have reached out and poked her with the barrel of my rifle. My heart was beating out of my chest and I was almost hyperventilating. I was so relieved when that doe stepped into the firelight, not some beast. But I was really confused. Was the doe making those sounds? Then that damn barking started up again and this time it sounded even more irritated. The doe's head snaps back looking over its shoulder. Then she did a quick step past us heading in the opposite direction from us and disappeared into the darkness. That doe was less afraid of us and our fire than of whatever was up the hill from us. We both stepped back over to the fire and briefly discussed packing up and heading out, but quickly decided against it, fearing the trail would be impossible to follow in the dark. Then that damn thing started pacing back and forth while barking at us. The barking would get farther away maybe 100 yards or more, and then it would make its way back directly uphill from us. It seemed like every time it got closer the barking sounded more irritated. It would get farther away, then back again, farther away, then back again. Our nerves were getting worse and worse with our ever-shrinking wood pile when finally, after about two hours of the barking, it got farther and farther away and then went silent. Thank God, the rest of the night was uneventful. Needless to say, neither of us slept much and every perceived sound sent us both upright and wide awake. The next day we packed up early and hit the trail. This incident occurred in October 2020 in Pelham and Helena, Alabama. I live near the border of the two towns and follow the strange occurrence from Pelham into Helena. Although this is a lengthy story, I want to provide as many details as possible, 
as my interaction with this mysterious entity spanned over an hour and a half, leaving me with a sense of bewilderment. Despite my attempts to rationalize the events, I find myself unable to do so. I hope that by sharing my experience, someone else who may have encountered a similar incident can shed light on this perplexing situation. The night began like any other, my girlfriend and I were at home in Pelham, Alabama, engaging in our usual activities of playing video games and relaxing. It was around 1 AM when I decided to step outside for a cigarette. However, my ordinary night took an unexpected turn when I heard a woman's voice yelling, someone help me. Initially dismissing it, thinking it might be a trivial occurrence in our residential development, I became increasingly concerned as the desperate cries persisted for over five minutes. The source of the yelling seemed to be emanating from a small patch of woods across the main road near my development. Initially attributing it to a fox, I thought nothing more of it. However, the continuous pleas for help, now more distinct and coherent, raised my apprehension. Intrigued, I cautiously approached the area, only to find the screams moving away from me, leading to another development across the street. Entering the new development, I was relieved to discover that the source of the disturbance might be a TV or Halloween decoration. However, my confusion intensified as the cries seemed to be elusive, moving further away. Attempting to follow the sound, I walked down the road, but it became increasingly challenging to pinpoint its origin. Eventually, I decided to return home, questioning why someone in distress would be moving so swiftly. To my surprise, the cries resumed with greater intensity, now leading me to a larger forest near a cell phone tower. Standing on the street, I heard the screams about 50 yards from me within the woods, and I noticed an unusual pattern. The entity, whatever it was, moved parallel to me, screaming for help, running to the right, then the left, in a seemingly impossible manner. This continued for five minutes, with the entity only stopping to speak before resuming its erratic movements. Things took a terrifying turn when the entity changed its cries to why aren't you helping me and started emitting low, grunting growling noises. Overwhelmed by fear, I realized the urgency of the situation. The entity seemed to be coaxing me into the woods, refusing to leave but desperately wanting me to enter. The grunting intensified, and its movements became faster and more aggressive, running back and forth just 10 yards away. As the entity's actions became increasingly menacing, I thought I saw something low to the ground, possibly white, moving rapidly. Fearing for my safety, I attempted to reach for the camera button on my phone but was too shaken. The grunting only intensified, and I decided to call 911 immediately, convinced that whatever this thing was, it wasn't friendly and posed a threat. As soon as the Helena police arrived, the entity ceased its actions. Although this narrative may be lengthy, I share it with the hope that someone else who has experienced a similar incident may come forward. My girlfriend and I initially tried to rationalize it as a child playing with a boombox, creating scary noises. However, I know deep down that this explanation does not align with the chilling reality of that night. If anyone has encountered a similar situation, please reach out, as understanding this mysterious occurrence remains crucial for both of us. The bad place. That's what the locals in my small town call the woods that circle our little slice of paradise. There are many different rumors that the residents murmur about to each other but I don't think anybody really knows what waits in those woods. Devil cults, child-eating witches, creatures from beyond and even aliens are some of the theories that float about. They are all bullshit if you ask me. But what isn't bullshit is those woods have definitely earned their nickname, the bad place. Hikers have entered and have never come out, kids have dared each other to enter and vanished, dogs and cats have run off into the woods just to never be seen again. If you stick to town, you're safe. The only rule is don't go too deep into the bad place or you'll just become another statistic. I live in a small house just on the outskirts of town. There's an entry to the bad place about a hundred feet from my front doorstep. 
At night I keep my door locked and shotgun by my side, ready to fire at anything that comes from those woods. Nothing ever has except for sounds, horrible sounds. The sounds of children screaming and crying out for help. I think it's the trees. Once the woods have you, they become you and can even communicate with you. That's just speculation but it's the only thing that makes sense. Their cries nearly tricked me the first time I heard them. I've told the local sheriff and his deputy but it always falls on deaf ears. They're just as terrified as the rest of us. Who can blame them? Bo, my six-year-old chocolate lab, sleeps in my room every night. He whimpers when the wind blows at night. I'll never forget my journey into the bad place. The night Bo got out and chased after a monstrous buck into the woods. This wasn't a regular looking buck either. He had red beady eyes with torn up flesh hanging from his body and crooked antlers that were broken in half and dangled loosely. I grabbed my shotgun, flashlight and started towards the bad place. I moved as quickly as I could. It still surprises me today that I wasn't more reluctant at the time. The wind became cold as I progressed deeper into the woods. The trees grew closer together and the woods began to swallow me. A sinking feeling filled the pit of my stomach. My heart pounded in my chest like a drum. I was terrified and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't call out Bo's name. My throat tightened more and more every time I tried. I managed to cry out to the woods. And they answered me. The dense trees suddenly started to open and spread apart from one another like a crowd allowing someone to pass. The wind quickly ceased. It was quiet. The woods had become eerily still. There was no signs of bow anywhere. I looked in every direction. And then. A whimper. I followed the whimpering to a pile of tree limbs. Bow was lying near it. A strong gust of wind blew, knocking me to the ground. I gasped as I landed on my back. The wind entered me and filled me. Bo and I ran back to our little cabin. I never spoke a word about going into the woods because I fear how people would have reacted. For the first few months things were normal. And then it all started. The nightmares, the visions, and the transformation. My nightmares started to become extremely vivid. They varied in context but all had a similar ending. It always ended with the woods taking me back. The visions became increasingly horrifying with each passing day. It went from hearing children crying to seeing their dead mutilated bodies wrapped in tree vines. They stalked me wherever I went. It got so bad I had to move from my cabin to an apartment in a bigger city. I can still hear the woods calling me back. The trees whisper my name and the wind blows for me. The bad place is in complete control now. I can feel it in my heart. I know it in my mind. There's something growing inside of me. I can feel it moving in my stomach. The pain is shooting to the rest of my body. My skin has started to dry up and become a wood-like texture, flaking off in good-sized pieces. Maybe I should go back. Maybe I should give it what it wants. Me. I recently drove home from school to work for the summer before going back, and I haven't been up to the only national forest, which is in Wisconsin, about five hours from my house. I took a friend along, and we left this Saturday at around 10 am and got there around 3.30 pm because the forest roads we took were pretty bad. The mosquitoes this time of year are absolutely terrible and the headwaters wilderness is mostly swamp and marsh. So we hiked around for about 5 miles before finding a camp spot down an abandoned, but marked, forest road, that lead to private property about 4 miles in. The private property had no access, but I saw that it was not a part of the federal land on my Gaia GPS app. This road was extremely overgrown, with large ostrich ferns, 3 to 4 feet tall, on the entire path, down limbs every half a mile or so and plenty of dead wood to support a fire. We had set our packs about a mile back and were just exploring down it further in hopes to find something cooler than the essentially solo beach forest that we had found. When it started to get dark, we decided to turn around, and when circumnavigating a downed tree, we found something. 
a full three feet tall shelter that had obviously taken a decent amount of time to build. It looked like it had a full interior of sticks as well. I'm slightly superstitious, so I recognized the potential for it to be a Nissa or something similar, so we found some good wood to leave as offerings, and went on our way. Later that night, our fire reignited, after we had used a full gallon to douse it, and with no wind, I heard footsteps around our tents after my friend had used the restroom and gone back inside his tent, I heard what sounded like a log smacking the base of a tree in a 1-2-3 pattern every 5 minutes or so each hour, and I swear I heard a light sounding voice or giggle. Needless to say, I got out of there in the morning. Nothing nefarious really happened though, so I'm not sure if this was just imagination or some Nissa being mischievous with us because we didn't leave them a good enough offering. What do y'all think? My bedroom two years ago, one night I had trouble sleeping and something felt off. I was in my room. It was near 10 at night. I had looked over to the hallway. There was a woman who I had never seen before at the top of the steps. She was wearing a dress that had spots, and had curly hair. She stared at me just looking at me. She had a calm look on her face. She was not there for long. When she left she just disappeared. Snorkeling my second encounter took place last when I went snorkeling this, was during summer break. So one day when I went to Florida with my family and we deciding we would go snorkeling. While I am there I went near the rocks. I was looking at the fish for most of the time. Near the end of the trip is when I saw the creature. I then decided I would look in the rocks. I saw a lot of fish then I go look in one specific rock. I then peered in the rock. I thought I saw a small humanoid creature. It did not move. Its face did not look very human it looked somewhat grayish. The creature had big eyes. Once I saw it I decided to swim back to shore. I never did go back to that same area. I then told my family what I saw and they told me that I was probably just mistaking the rocks as things. Me and Ally, my best friend since birth, decided to go to Blackwell. If you don't know it is a very small area, just a few miles past Cadet, Missouri. It is considered very haunted, which really means there is a large amount of people who have had some insane SHT happen to them there and can't explain it. So, so much has happened there and if you are someone who feeds off of or experiences paranormal activity stronger or differently than others, you almost feel sick just entering the area. The feeling of dread is so overwhelming and your throat gets tight. We wanted to go to the old Blackwell Upper Bridge which was shut down in the 80s after a terrible car accident took place. The bridge has in ways still been open to the public, but there are still random, awful accidents taking place. At about 12 to 1 am, and keep in mind that it was very dark and late, we turned on our GPS and tried to find this bridge as we don't necessarily live close we are just aware with the area. So our phones were charged and our GPS worked 100% perfectly fine until we got about a mile out, and everything stopped working. Our phones were acting weird and the GPS app shut itself off and would not let us open it. When it finally allowed us to click on the app, we typed in the address to the bridge and it said no coordinates found like what? Each time we both tried to put in the address nothing came up, but leading up to this point there wasn't a single problem. And mind you our service was fine, it's not like we couldn't use the app at all. At this point we are terrified, because it's just us two in the middle of nowhere and there isn't a single house or even building in sight. We stopped at some stop sign to redirect our apps and try to fix the issue and a little bit behind some trees due to the road being curvy we saw some lights so we turned to head down the road in hopes for a gas station, house, a church just absolutely anything and I cannot make this up as we turn down the road we see the source of the lights, and there is a motorcycle with all of its lights turned on just sitting in the middle of the road. Nobody around. Us being two women obviously the first thing that pops in our head is s trafficking, so we are panicking thinking it's a trap. 
We pull up a tiny bit closer because as we are looking we see one single shoe and an all white helmet just on the ground by the bike. So at this point we call the cops, tell them we are in Blackwell but have no idea where exactly we are and that we are positive that we just found a wreck and that there is no person in sight, we just explain to them what we can see. During all this we are trying to decide if we should get out of the car or not because we are still scared but not too scared knowing the cops are on their way but you guys. I look outside of Ally's window and there is a man covered in blood. He is missing a shoe and his clothes are ripped for sure. I verbally screamed as he scared me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So badly, my hands felt numb. He was standing there looking inside of our vehicle. Ally cracked the window a very tiny bit, just enough to ask him if he was okay and he didn't mutter a single word, not a single sound came from his lips. As this point we are terrified, she has her concealed carry so she grabs her GN as ready as possible to protect us if this man does anything too crazy but in the back of my mind I am trying to convince myself maybe he is just stunned or freaked out because he just had an awful wreck. But the bike being in the middle of the road with the lights on, and him covered in blood? Like come on now. Now if you haven't paid any attention before in this story this is the exact moment you need to start. An all-black Ford Ranger truck pulls up behind our vehicle and these two middle-aged men get out trying to see if everything is okay and he grabs the guy's shoe and tries to talk to him and figure out what happened. Just a minute later the paramedics and the state trooper pull up. Behind us also so that was very relieving. As I stay in the driver's seat ally gets out to talk to the guys from the Ford Ranger, and remember this truck because it comes back later on. She tells this guy we are trying to find the Blackwell Bridge when we came across this wreck and the guy proceeds to say I have lived in Blackwell my entire life, I grew up here and I have no idea what bridge you're talking about. This was suspicious to me because most people know of the Blackwell area, and I know a lot of people who have been to this bridge including my own parents. While I talked to the state trooper, I told him that the guy was really weird when we were trying to see if he's alright and I just told him what we experienced. Al I had talked to another cop who gave her directions to get to the bridge, but he told us to not get on it because he's scared that something will happen. A literal police officer told her this. Then about 10 Mintus goes by and everyone's cleared out, it was just me and Ally back on the side of the road. We traveled down until we got on the old upper Blackwell Bridge Road. We start to see the bridge in the distance but we also see something else, the exact black Ford Ranger with the two guys who stopped at the wreck, the ones who told us they didn't know a single thing about the bridge. We hit it in reverse and left, I don't know if I'll ever try to find this stupid bridge again. Man it sounds so fake but it's not bro it was like out of a damn movie. I served as a Marine in the Kenyan Army between 2011 and 2014. During my service, I visited the northern part of the country and the coastline of Somalia. On my first visit to the northern part, I was on duty guarding my sleeping unit with 30-minute shifts from 23 hours to 5.30 hours until wake-up time. While taking a break, I went for a brief moment, and suddenly, the walkie-talkie started making strange noises. I raised my head and saw a bizarre figure just two to three paces away, looking straight at me. The eyes were shiny, like a predator or night animal, and the skin appeared latex-like or similar to a nylon bag. In a quick reaction, I reached for my gun, but when I looked again, the figure had vanished. I immediately informed the unit through the walkie-talkie, and we initiated a massive manhunt, which yielded no results. Instead, I faced mockery and beatings from my colleagues for this incident. Feeling unsure of my sanity, 
I kept silent about the encounter. Two months later, while stationed on a ship off the coastline of Somalia, tasked with searching for raiding pirates from a tower, I experienced another encounter. Alone and vigilant, I felt a strange touch on my neck. Turning around, the rubber-like figure with predator-like eyes was looking at me. He extended his hand as if offering something, and in terror, I opened my palm. His hand felt like a condom but without lube, and he left a golden necklace in my hand. When I looked down at it, it transformed into my dog tag, which I knew was not golden. Keeping this experience to myself, I resigned from active service upon our return. Since then, I've searched numerous places for answers or any clues about this strange rubber man. I hope someone here may have information or insights into this mysterious encounter. So I live in Austin, Texas. We have a metropolitan park located in North Austin that is almost 300 acres. I visit this park often and have never had a weird experience until now. This park has a ton of trails for mount biking and hiking. There's also a creek that runs through the park. Two days ago, I took my four kids and myself hiking on the trail. We arrived at the trailhead around 4 p.m. and started our hike. There's three bridges over water we passed during our hike. Each bridge was at least a half mile apart. Our destination required us to pass all three bridges before we started to make our way back. We made it to our destination, and started walking back with no issues, only the occasional mount biker passing by. On the way back, as we walked over the second bridge my kids and I, all under the age of 10, heard someone very clearly with a female voice under the bridge say hi my dear, come over here x2. The first time we heard it we all stopped in our tracks and looked at each other like did you hear that? My 9 year old daughter even asked mom did you hear that? What was that? And my 3 year old looked at me very perplexed. There was no one in sight. I even looked under the bridge and can't see anyone, but could hear some rustling. Then a few seconds later we heard it again in the same exact tone or voice hi my dear, come over here. It was almost robotic. This was about an HR or so into our hike. So around 5 to 5.15 PM. At that point we all started swiftly walking towards the trailhead. No one said a word the whole time. I remained calm as I always carry my side piece. So I had a form of self-defense to rely on. But still, it definitely spooked me and the kids. There's a playground not far from the trailhead. And when I asked my kids if they wanted to play on the playground they all simultaneously and without missing a beat said no they wanted to go straight home. Considering this is in Austin, it definitely could have been vagrant camping out at the park. This isn't unusual. Regardless, if this was a vagrant high on drugs or a supernatural being it was still very creepy. We were all very spooked. I casually came across an Italian article from the late 1990s reporting something incredible that happened in peninsular Malaysia in the 1920s. Specifically, it occurred in the Ulu Slim area to some Sakai Rang Asli local hunters. Initially, it's important to note that they have their own version of Bigfoot, the Jurong Gigi, also known as Orang Mawas, a black to reddish or blondish haired, 10 feet tall orangutan like ape likely a relic population of Gigantopithecus blackii, and the Orang Pendic, its Floresiensis-sized relative. However, this encounter is not about either of them. Here's what happened. One night, in Ulu Slimsakai village, two wild men broke in and kidnapped two men. The village hunters armed themselves with blowguns and pursued the kidnappers. Soon, they stumbled upon the half-devoured cadaver of one of their tribesmen. Horrified, they pressed on to confront the cannibalistic ape men. They discovered the creatures while they were consuming the other victim and attacked. One of the two creatures managed to escape, but the other was taken off guard and received a lethal blow from a, likely poisonous, dart. A little later, it fell to its death. What the Sakai hunters found was truly remarkable, 
Not a giant ape but a six to seven feet tall man-like creature with lighter skin than the local people, long black hair, hairier than average body, and most importantly, a six inches long monkey tail. This wasn't the first time such nearly human creatures were found in the area, although they are rare compared to the Jurongjiji. These creatures are said to have, unlike humans, large brow ridges and no chin. Unlike apes, they exhibit a fully bipedal posture and wear rudimentary clothing in the form of waist cloths made from tree bark. However, the locals don't formally distinguish them with their own name and often conflate them with the Jurongjiji. It's worth noting that the Jurongjiji, the Malaysian Bigfoot, is said to be bipedal and occasionally reported to have a short monkey tail. The identity of this wildman poses an intriguing question. Nothing from the Hominidae and Pongidae families should have a tail, and it's not a rare malformation because many bipedal, ape-like individuals in the area are said to have a short tail. The concept of the Vanara from Hindu mythology, originally depicted as forest wildmen with a tail, comes to mind. Later, they were wrongly believed to be a magical, divine race of sentient monkeys, retaining their nigh-human appearance and intelligence but possessing a tail, and possibly beast-like claws. Any thoughts on this? During the fires that consumed Mount Charleston, Nevada, my parents drove out to the mountain when the roads were clear. They described the wildlife to be running around the car as they drove through the open road. My dad told my mom to stop the car and he got out and started walking through the desert. He realizes that the wilderness is running, including snakes and other deadly animals. He witnesses a moose or elk in the distance that was looking at him, but walked off in the direction of the rabbits and other wildlife. As he gets in the vehicle, both my parents and his father describe seeing a tall man crouched down in front of the car. Wings draped over his back. As he stands and faces them. His wingspan wide enough to cover the entire two-lane road lifted him off the ground in four swooshes. They described him as muscular, six to eight pack, broad shoulders, arms and legs. But the face was mesmerizing. They couldn't describe his face, but it was not a human. It sounds like a man-bird. The Mothman was a topic of discussion for them to decide if it was the Mothman. If anyone has any similar stories about this creature please share with me. I want to understand what they saw. I grew up on the top of this mountain that was mostly abandoned since the 60s when an old ski kill burnt down. There were two other full-time residents up at the top where we lived. The rest of the houses stood empty the majority of the time, or were abandoned. The history of this mountain dates far back, hundreds of years ago, before the colonization of Canada, there were two native communities at war. One lived on top of this mountain, one lived in the valley below. At the base of the mountain the two communities were supposed to meet for battle. During the journey down, the valley tribe snuck up behind the mountain tribe and slaughtered all their women and children. When the mountain tribe returned home, they were apparently slaughtered too. On the entire mountainside these vining wild strawberries grow and it's said they grow from the spilt blood of the mountain tribe. Many people have died on this mountain. When I was growing up there were hundreds of old crosses littering the twists and turns up the mountain. My father later became one of those crosses. In a small meadow surrounded by trees sat a small cottage, no driveways and only an overgrown pathway to lead you to it. If you looked inside their breakfast sat still prepared, oatmeal and eggs, untouched for years. The man that lived there was supposedly a fugitive who disappeared further into the mountains when the police came up and found him one day. We had these weird neighbors who would come two weekends a month from the city with their daughter who was my age. They would bring friends over, get high, drunk, and naked, and have orgies in their yard or the forest. There was this eerie feeling you had while on this mountain, which was aptly named Forbidden. I stood looking out my bedroom window at night, I swear I could see things moving in the forest below. We had the highest concentration of mountain lions in the world and I was often stalked home. 
One night my mother woke to the sound of the sliding door opening and closing. She walked downstairs and my sister was standing there sleepwalking, whispering over and over here kitty kitty. My sister had never been a sleepwalker until this. My mother grabbed her, closed and locked the sliding door, then flicked on the lights, and right there on the deck pacing back and forth was a cougar. My father also became a violent sleepwalker while living up there. He would have screaming matches with the wall, sometimes ended up throwing items around. This wasn't something he did until the last few years of his life. My father was a skilled driver and had driven up this mountain, and many narrower, steeper logging roads around the area, many times. A few months before the accident I started having waking nightmares of my father's death. Something was telling me he was going to die. I remember waking up frequently and looking out the window into the forest during this period and feeling like something was communicating with me that he would die. He kissed me goodnight one night and went out the door to go to town with his friends. They left in separate vehicles, him first, from the accounts of what happened it was a freak accident. They were driving below speed limit down a straight stretch nearing a cliff or corner when my dad's truck suddenly lost traction and started skidding sideways towards the cliff. My dad opened the truck door and jumped out. And the truck suddenly veered the other way and flipped onto him on the ground. Something that physically shouldn't have been possible. It crushed almost every bone in his body. He survived for eight days in hospital after being airlifted. The day he died I knew again. I knew he was dead and it was like this feeling that something was communicating this to me. I didn't need to be told, I was so sure of this feeling that I collapsed onto the ground the second I got this feeling and starting screaming Hess dead isn't he, Hess dead isn't he, over and over again. I was 8. I had never experienced death before. There's a lot more that went on up there to a lot of different people over the years. It's known locally as a haunted, and weird place. Nothing good ever happens there, people do weird and crazy out of character things, commit heinous crimes, die, or just lose their minds. We moved when I was 9. I never felt that feeling again anywhere else, that feeling of something insidious all around you. I've only been up there a handful of times since, and every time I do that feeling returns. It was the summer of 2013. At the time, I was in Titusville, Florida. I was just kind of homeless, house surfing. I was working for this lady doing some cleaning work just to make the rent. So I'm sitting up late at night and I was unfortunately smoking at the time. I've since quit smoking these cigarettes she was buying, these cigar cigarettes which were terrible. Cigarettes are terrible anyway. I had this chest pain. I'm going, oh my god, no, I don't want to do this. It was just this pressure on my chest. I called 911 myself. It's around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. The ambulance came very quickly. The ambulance and the fire truck. They all came into the house and checked me. They heard me out, checked my numbers and they said I was okay. I was still scared. I said, man, I have this chest pain. So they looked at me. They were all looking down at me while I was sitting in this recliner going, what do you want to do? I said I'll go to the hospital. I don't feel right. So, they took me to the hospital. I'm in the ER, you know rushed me to the hospital in the ambulance. I was lying in there and my heart stopped. They said later that I was dead for like 30 seconds but I remember vividly looking down and seeing all the doctors and all the staff. All of a sudden everybody descended. I don't remember what I heard exactly, code blue, whatever, but there were probably 15 or so people around my gurney in the ER and they were doing whatever you call it, you know, on your chest, to get me going again the paddles. I had died. There are stories a lot of people have told about near death but this happened to me and I ended up fully conscious within a few minutes after getting me stabilized. They later placed a stent from my crotch up to my lower anterior artery. But I had died and I saw this happening and, yeah, that's creepy. It's not like going through a dark tunnel and seeing scary shapeshifters but that was scary enough. 
I'm not afraid of death as a result. I'm not going to preface this post with I know this sounds crazy, because it isn't. This is a regular experience I have had over several years of dog sitting gigs at a turn of the 20th century mansion in my neighborhood. A friend of mine will also dog sit at the house if there are dates I'm unavailable, and she shares this experience, and often feels like she needs to pretend she's somewhere else in order to get through it. I met a really nice family through a friend who were looking for a dog sitter for their puppy back in fall of 2020. I started doing a long weekend every few months, and then the owner asked me to help her out for spring breaks or summer trips that they couldn't include their dog on. The house is absolutely beautiful, and is a precious landmark home in our historic neighborhood. It's big without feeling imposing, and you can tell that the owner loves taking care of it. She decorates to make every nook and sitting area comfortable and inviting, and there are beautiful family photos all over the walls. In short, it's a catalog home. And most importantly the dog is a very good boy. I often feel quite guilty when she and I interact, because as beautiful and welcoming as her home looks it makes me feel absolutely awful. Whenever I stay there I feel completely exsanguinated. I have a hard time moving, I feel listless, deeply sad, and strangely scared to leave the house. Usually the longer I stay there the more agoraphobic I feel. When I do muster a ton of effort to go out to buy groceries or run an errand, I feel like I'm not alone, like as if something has followed me, and I dread returning to the house. I am an active person who usually wakes up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so it's unusual for me to feel so heavy and unable to do things. I have also heard footsteps around the house, and often wake up sweaty and terrified in the night with no apparent cause. I saw my boyfriend briefly yesterday and he commented on noticing a big difference in me compared to two days prior, before I went to the house. I didn't really know what to say to describe how I felt and how I was acting, and he was so worried he thought in a matter of two days I had decided I wanted to break up, we have been in that disgusting phase of love, today was my last day in the house after three days, and after yesterday I knew I had to fight this energy demon for lack of a better word and go for a walk at the park. It was spectacular, and I was out for about three hours. With each step I felt more of the energy evaporate off my body, even off my sweater. When I returned to the house to pack up my things, play with Doggo and let him out one last time, I felt like the energy returned full force. The words I would use to describe that feeling was like it was a spiritual assault. I tidied up the house and gathered all my bags, but the whole time it felt like some energy or spirit was arguing with me not to leave, and following me each step I took, even in and out of the bathroom. As is usual for my stays at the house, the energy completely vanishes the second I finish the dog sitting gig and step out of the house for the last time of that gig. I've been saying no to this very nice dog owner more and more over the last year, and my friend who needs extra money has been helping out. I warned my friend that this house has a very strange vibe, and her first time over there she texted me very early on that she felt super off, and we have compared experiences ever since. Another friend of mine hung out with me there when I was really lonely and depressed, because of the house, and she very quickly became off too. I know this kind of sounds like The Shining, but the best way I can describe this feeling is that the house, or something inside of it, wants to slowly drain me until I completely melt into it and become a part of the house. I know it sounds like psychosis, but I can feel something battling with me every time I try to leave, and something draining my battery every time I give up and stay. I have considered the usual environmental suggestions like mold and gas leaks as it is an older home. But just before I started sitting there they did a full renovation including inspections, and the family seems very nice and happy for my interactions. The only slightly off thing I noticed is that the owner, though very kind, is very paranoid and anxious. She often mentions how desperately she needs to get away when she asks me to dog sit. But hell who isn't anxious these days? This house is just a standing paradox. It looks like an all-American home. It's bright, full of light and checks the boxes of every HGTV lover's wish list, but I absolutely, 
Deeply dreaded. There's something wrong with it. My family recently moved into a new rental home. My family consists of me, my mom and her partner and my child and two dogs. The dogs act weird at night occasionally by growling or barking like they hear someone outside. A few nights ago my mom was having a hard time sleeping and kept waking up and twice she saw me standing next to her bed looking at her. She didn't say anything because it's a common thing I do as she has sleep apnea and wears ACPAP and I sometimes fix it on her face or make sure she's breathing and then go back to bed. But I was sound asleep. Last night she was almost asleep and by the nightlight light saw something dark lean close to her face quickly then vanish. Tonight while my child was in the kitchen and I was in my room and mom and partner were sleeping, my child heard me from the hallway saying hey. Hey. In a really monotone voice. From my room I thought I heard my mom talking, but when he came in and asked if I had been in the hall I went to check and everyone else was asleep. What do I do? Hello, folks. I had some interesting experiences in my youth and people around me told me a few things. I would like to briefly report on them here and share my ideas. Of course I'm also interested in yours because a lot of things don't fit together. A bit of information first, I'm German, 40 plus, male, atheist and everything I'm describing allegedly took place in a small town until the early 2000s. It's right on the border with the former East Germany. Now, grab a drink, stay a while and listen. A man from the neighborhood told, that a small object landed in his garden, a few beings got out and took soil samples. The people he confided in told him to shut the F up or they would come and get him. Unfortunately, I couldn't find out any more information except that this was in the late 60s, early 70s. All those involved are now deceased. I think they meant the nice people from the asylum. Strange lights were apparently normal in my parents' teenage years. They called dates looking at UFOs. As I said, our village was right on the border with the Eastern Bloc. It's not that unusual for someone to be interested in monitoring the border. Whoever it was. My father saw a shining white woman in the stairwell of our apartment in the evening. He wanted to show her to my older brother, who was still small at the time. But he couldn't see her. This probably happened in the 80s. There are thousands of reports about these women in white. Enough to fill several stadiums with the ladies. There are just as many interpretations of what these appearances mean, so I can't really speculate. It is remarkable that only my father saw the woman. It could be that only he should or could see her. Or he was drunk. I can no longer ask him about this because he died of cancer in 2001. 1998. My brother and I were driving to my grandparents' house where he lived. From a distance, we saw what we thought was a helicopter hovering over the cemetery in our village. This is close to our destination. As we drove past it, we realized that it was one of those huge triangular UFOs that were often reported in the press in Europe in the 90s. We just drove past it without paying much attention. When we got to our grandparents' house, we got out of the car and of course it was gone. I've written about this before in another thread. Even though the Belgian UFO wave was often reported in the early 90s, these things were also seen all over Europe before and after that. This was my only close encounter. I had seen one of these objects twice before. But this time it was close enough to throw a stone at it. But of course we didn't. The most interesting thing here was not so much our lack of interest, that's another topic, but rather that this huge object, although it stood directly above the trees and had huge lights down in its corners, did not illuminate the ground. How does that work? Was it amazing technology that utilizes features of reality that we can't even guess at? Was it some kind of hologram? A projection into space or our minds? Secret American airplanes? Or are we just crazy? 99 or 2000. My father had been suffering from chest pains for days. He dreamed that at night as he lay in bed, a gray alien entered the bedroom and placed its hand on his chest. 
He felt better for a while after that. Maybe that's what happened. But it's also possible that he suffered more than he wanted to admit to my mother and us three children. It may have been the subconscious desire for help that triggered this visit or this dream. A year later, my mother saw my father's deceased grandparents standing by his bed at night. They cried and said they had tried, but could no longer do anything for him. He was later diagnosed with cancer and died in early 2001. Again, it may be that this was a reality. But there is also the possibility that father told her about his dream and this was part of her version of the dream. Of course, she knew more about his suffering than we children, who were more concerned with ourselves. Then there were a few smaller things that I can't say much about. My brother felt his cat on his bed at night. Then it became clear to him that she should be in our grandparents' house. Or a mysterious ball of light that flew through the bedroom. My mother said when she left our parents' house and moved to another city that whatever she would do was to stay there. Well that's all for now. Nothing special has actually happened since then, which I think is a shame. As I said, it all seems a bit thrown together and doesn't fit together well. But from all of this I conclude that such things happen much more often than you think and or that many people ignore them, keep quiet about them, explain them away or dismiss them as unimportant. What has all of this done to me and my life and my view of the world? Actually nothing. My family has always been open to everything and doesn't reject anything just because it can't be explained or is difficult to explain at the moment. There are a lot of things that are difficult to explain and understand. Black holes, how the theory of relativity and quantum theory fit together, exactly how painkillers work, my toddler's thoughts. Maybe we better apes are just not able to see things as they are. What do you think about it and thank you for your attention. A while back my husband and I wanted to check out a park that we had never been to before. It's on the outskirts of a smaller town. Just a small forested park with a few walking trails, and a parking lot for about 20 cars or so. We get out of the car and walked over to the information board, while a man in the only other occupied car in the lot started shouting random nonsense at us. There were only four total cars in the lot, so there were not a lot of other people around. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was creepy AF. He kept shouting religious questions and random nonsense so we didn't feel safe going on the trails into the woods. Instead, we got back into the car and drove to another park on the opposite side of town, at least 10 miles away, and not a straightforward route between the two places. We go and have a nice hike, come back to the car about 30 minutes later, and guess who slowly drives past us? Yep, creepy guy from the first park. We could not imagine that he just happened to follow the same route and end up at this same other park as us by random coincidence. But the thing is, I watched to make sure he didn't follow us. He did not follow us out of the first park, and at no point was he behind us while driving. How did he find us? <laughs>